Good morning. And I guess we should say Happy New Year. First Sunday in the new year, so that's exciting. Get to start a new year, always in a new year. You feel like you've got a clean slate, right? A chance to start over, a chance to start over dieting. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed food just like you guys, you know. Uh, a little too much. Um, of course, the problem is, as somebody told me once, it's not how you eat between Thanksgiving and Christmas that's the important thing. It's between Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> how you eat then is so crucial, right? And so we need to, uh, you can pray for me on that one. But uh, this is a time for new beginnings, new changes, new uh, uh, everything, really. Uh, and yet, sometimes, this is also the time when uh, uh, you get surprised by something. In fact, Peter talks about that in our passage this morning. So turn with me, if you're not there already, to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to begin to look at verse 12. That very first phrase, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. We're always surprised by trials when they come, right? I mean, we, he says, don't be surprised, and yet, why are we surprised? I mean, what he's basically saying, he's not saying you're not going to be shocked when it happens. What he is saying is you should expect it. It's coming. It happens to all of us. And sometimes, some of you, for some of you, you were thinking you were going to start this year with a clean slate, a new slate, and then you were surprised. Something happened. Boom. When you least expect it, car accident rocks your world. One diagnosis from the doctor. An announcement at work. We're having layoffs. One statement by a dear friend that rocks you. One loss. One financial setback. One natural disaster. One health crisis. One unexpected betrayal. One moment of deep disappointment. One anticipated change in circumstances. One misunderstanding. One rejection. One failure. One crisis of faith. One lonely dark night. One shattered dream, one feeling lost, one sense of hopelessness, one, one thing, and it rocks us to our core. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens, and yet we are. We think we're ready for those things. I mean, after all, we've been doing Bible study, right? We've been reading the Bible all last year, and, and we've been thinking about these things and praying, and yet when they happen, it's like the death of a loved one that can be coming and coming and coming when it finally happens. It still just rocks us. We're still not quite ready for that moment when it occurs. As the passage on the screen, the light and momentary affliction in 2 Corinthians 4, right? It doesn't seem momentary or light at the time. And for each person, it's something different. And it causes us to be mad or sad or hurt or confused defeated or confused or isolated or overwhelmed, disheartened, despairing, one thing, one thing. You're not alone in facing trials. In fact, if I ask you to raise your hand right now, all of you who are facing a trial in the last year, 
I would imagine that pretty close to 100% of hands would go up. In fact, and I know I'm not going to get through this illustration. George Truett, you know that name? For 50 years was the pastor at First Baptist before all of our times. He started in 1897. Pastored till 1944, First Baptist Dallas. He went on a hunting trip and he accidentally killed one of his friends. Can you imagine how that would rock your world? One moment and everything changes. His daughter said that she never heard him laugh after that. He made this simple statement. Be good to everybody. Because everybody is having a tough time. It's right, isn't it? We all got it. And how do we deal with it as a believer? Because see, there's two different kinds of suffering. They're just suffering, and we can that we deserve suffering, that we that we bring on ourselves, suffering that's just, you know, a circumstance. And then there's suffering as a believer in Jesus. And it's different. That's a different kind of suffering. In fact, Peter talks about this kind of suffering. He says, anyone in verse 15, or 16, I can't see with the tears in my eyes, but you just have to figure it out. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, what does that mean? Suffering as a Christian. Does it mean suffering because you're a Christian? Or does it mean the manner in which you suffer is that you follow God's principles in your suffering? I think it's both. I don't think it's one or the other. And so we go back to this idea of being surprised at suffering. I shouldn't be surprised it's coming. He calls it the fiery trial. And at first you have to think, is he talking about some future suffering? Because he does use the word when it comes upon you. So it is future to when he's writing it, but is it future to us? Is he looking at the end times? Well, you can go back earlier in verse 7 and say the end of all things is hand to hand. You think, oh, he's talking about end times. But then he says when it comes upon you to test you. So he's talking to his present audience. There also it's both. Even Jesus in the Sermon on the uh, Olivet Discourse, uh, the Sermon on the uh, Mount Olivet in Matthew 24 says it's, there's the birth pains and then there's the real deal that's coming. And so we're in the birth pains. We may be very early in the process, but we're still in the birth pains. We see things happening and we think, oh, is the end coming yet? We see the stuff going on in Israel and we think, is the end coming now? Are the nations gathering? Is, are we seeing Ezekiel 38 and 39 coming about? We don't know. But I do know that whether he's talking about the end or he's talking about now, what he tells us and how he tells us to respond to suffering is the same. 
We do the same process. We do the same things. When I was looking at the passage, even just yesterday, something hit me that I was seeing, but I didn't really observe. We see, but we don't always observe. He says, do not be surprised. I thought, oh, that's an imperative. That's a command form. You know, I'm just kind of going through the process. So that, you know, Bible study methods, these are the, this is the uh, imperative form, the command form. And then I also noticed all the other command forms in this section, six of them. Verse uh, 13, but rejoice, a command. And then in verse um, 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer. And then in 16, let him not be ashamed. And then another one, let him be glorify God. And then verse 19, therefore let those who suffer entrust their souls. And so I went, wow, there's six in here. Six commands. You, you, when you see a bunch of things happen over and over, you've got to pay attention. And here's all these commands. What is he telling us? Here's how to respond as a believer in Jesus to suffering. Here's the steps you need to take. One is don't be surprised. Expect it. Know it's coming. When it does come, it does catch you off guard. Oh, okay. Uh, it's caught me off guard, and, but I know that... that uh, um, I, I know I should have expected it. It's, it's normal. It's not something strange. It's though something strange were happening to you. It's normal to go through suffering. We all face it. Then when I got to the second one, but rejoice, I thought, my feeling was, but I don't want to. Right? Lord, I don't want to rejoice. Why are you saying this one first? Why are you saying rejoice first in the list after you said don't be surprised, it's normal, it's coming? Because it's usually the last thing I do. I rejoice when the suffering's over. Ha, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, I'm done, right? I would rejoice more if I realized that I have a good God who's in charge of that suffering. And there's a reason, a good reason why he's allowing it to happen in my life. Our light and momentary affliction, as 2 Corinthians 4 talks about, you see what the rest of it says it's going to do for your life. You look at Romans 5, 3 through 5. He talks about that's building hope. You look at James chapter 1, it's giving wisdom. You're supposed to rejoice. Consider it all joy. Really? All joy, maybe a little joy, maybe no joy. There's a reason why Paul and Silas were in the prison and they're singing after they've been beat up. And they're incarcerated and they're restricted and they're not free. And they're singing because they know God's getting ready to do something. If we understood suffering, we would rejoice at the beginning going, God, you're getting ready to do something pretty cool here. That's not how we usually approach it because our view of suffering is this is just something to be endured. That's not how scripture tells us to handle suffering, to just tough it out. He says, there's a good God and he has a good reason for doing this very thing in your life. And we know one of the things is I grow more in suffering than any other time in my life. In the good times, 
I'd like to say, man, I'm really growing in Christ. I am. I'm preparing. I'm studying God's word because I'm going to be ready for those times that are really tough. Because sometimes they're pretty overwhelming. More than we can handle. And God knows that. He says, but rejoice. And here's a phrase that has always blown me away. In as far as you share Christ's sufferings. What? Share Christ's sufferings. Have you ever prayed to share Christ's sufferings? How many of you have prayed that? Yeah, I didn't think so. And I got to put my hand down too. I've never prayed that. It's like praying for patience. I don't pray for that either. Because then God gives you the situation in which you need to be patient in and grow in it. And I, yeah, I don't want that. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says that I may know him power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings. Whoa, he prayed for it. What is it? What is sharing in Christ's sufferings? Because I'm not on the cross. He was the one on the cross. He's the one that died for me. My sufferings don't apply to anybody. My sufferings, no matter how good they are, isn't going to save you. Only Jesus' sufferings and his death when you receive Jesus, they come full bore into every aspect of every phase and every inch of your life. Every sin that you've ever committed, ever will commit, has been taken care of on the cross by Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen. Wow. So, when you look at suffering, we have to ask ourselves the question... How is it sharing in Christ's sufferings? Two ways that I think you can look at the text and see. One is, is I suffer because I'm a Christian. We see this from believers all over the world. Believers that lose family, that are disowned, that are pushed away because they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Ones who get baptized in secret because they can't do so openly. They're suffering and sharing in Christ's sufferings in that way. But it hit me one day that's not only that. You know, it says anyone suffers as a Christian down there. I think those two are tied together, actually. You suffer because you choose to do what is right in the midst of your suffering. That's a suffering in Christ. That's a sharing in his suffering. So the only reason the suffering may be prolonged is because you're trying to do it in the way that God wants it to be done. And you say, God, I'm yours. You tell me that uh, I'm not supposed to respond a certain way. I won't do it. I won't do it the wrong way. I'll do it the right way. I'll suffer in the way that you want me to. I think that is exactly why he next says... Uh, that, um, well, not next, but he goes on. Verse 15, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, evildoer, or a meddler. And I was thinking, oh, I got that one. The rejoicing one, yeah, I'm struggling with that one. Uh, sharing in Christ's sufferings, I'm kind of struggling with that one because I, there's some things that God wants me to do I won't do, like rejoice. Um, but this one, you know, Suffering as a murderer, thief, evildoer, as a meddler, and, and you check that one off, got it. Meddler, 
okay, I've been accused of that as a pastor. You know, I preach a message and, and somebody comes up afterwards and says, you know, you were preaching great until you started meddling in my life. You know, you, got to, you need to just kind of, you know, and they were teasing, of course, but, uh, well, I think they were. Um, <laughs> but then I began to look at this list. It hit me this morning as I was going over the message, saying, okay, I got the message. I, was, I've got, I know where I'm going with this. And all of a sudden, this, this one blew me up. Yeah, I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus said, you have heard it said. Yeah, you know where I'm going, don't you? You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you hate your brother. Are you mad at somebody right now? You got somebody that you'd just like to get even with? That's the evildoer part right there, by the way. Doing the wrong thing, doing the evil thing, doing the hateful thing that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make them sorry that they ever did that to me, said that to me, said that about me, whatever it is. Whoa. Yeah, wait, the minute I say that, you got a name in your head, don't you? Maybe even a whole list of names. I hope I'm not on the list. <laughs> but we look at that and we go, I mean, when I looked at that, I was like, oh my goodness, I had kind of checked that one off. Thief, as someone said this morning in the first hour when we were talking about this passage, stealing somebody's reputation. Have you ever done that? You slandered them? Take away something precious to them? Wow. Don't suffer for those reasons. Peter's saying that's not worth it. We want to share in Christ's sufferings. That you may, going back to verse 13, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When does that happen? When is God's glory revealed? All the time. We just sang about it. Jesus is his glory, the glory of God. He's revealed. He's already been revealed. He is still being revealed to us as we understand who he is. And one day he will be revealed fully. So when is that now and future? When his glory is revealed, when we see his hand at work in the midst of something that we're doing, we see his hand revealed. When I ministered uh, among some people that uh, uh, were, if they came to Christ, they'd, they'd get in a lot of trouble. Two people came to Christ. And they began to lead different family members to Christ. Each one of them led about 40 people to Christ. And I saw God's glory revealed. I saw his glory whenever I just prayed with them. I prayed with them, shared my testimony, but didn't see them come to Christ. But God's glory was revealed even then. You see, we think the revealing is in the future. We think the revealing is when we see the result of all the things. We see the character that's been built in our life. No, it's in the anticipation of that happening that we see his glory. It's not a waiting. It's now. When I got to share with these folks and pray with them, God's glory was revealed because 
they were, it seemed like it was random that they just came to me. But it wasn't random for God. He led them to where I was. I saw his glory. Then they came to Christ. I found out later. I saw his glory again. Then they, they were in trouble and they were, they were looking to get out of their country and go somewhere else because they were not safe. Their lives were in danger. And I was asked for a certain amount of money that I did not have. I said, I can pray, but I don't have any money to give you. I've already spent everything on these other ministries. And then I got to hear that the very people that were wanting to kill them were their own family members that had not received Christ. And the way God answered it is they received Christ. And I saw his glory again. I saw his glory over and over and over and over. It's all in the process. It's not, we're just not looking at the end game only. It's now. His glory is being revealed. Start looking for it. We don't see it because we don't look. We're not in, in expectation. Or do you have a daily anticipation and expectation that God is going to glor be glorified and you're going to see his hand at work? And it's in the simple things. When a heart's changed, that was God. That wasn't me. That wasn't you. When a marriage is saved, that's not us. When, when a person comes back as a prodigal to, 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 to Jesus, that's not me. Yeah, maybe God used me or you in that process. You just saw God's hand at work. You need to rejoice because his glory has been revealed. And in fact, when his glory was revealed, it says, but the, the fifth one, but let him glorify God in verse 16. But let him glorify God. This morning, I'm standing over there worshiping with you. And I'm weeping. I was weeping this morning. Just glorifying God. I needed you this morning. Maybe you didn't need me this morning, but I needed you. I heard your voices. I saw some of your hands raised. I saw you engaged with the Lord. There's times when we're suffering. We just need to worship him. We just need to worship him. And when we worship him, it changes our focus and our perspective from the circumstances of our life to how incredible our God is and what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us. Amen? Sorry, I know this is an intense message, right? But sometimes we need these. Especially if we're all going through it. And, and we need to talk about it. We glorify him. So we're not surprised when we face trials. It comes upon us to test us, which he talked about at the beginning of the book, by the way. In chapter 1, he says... In this you rejoice. There's that idea of rejoicing again, right? In this you rejoice. Remember the apostles, they rejoiced at being able to suffer for his sake in Acts chapter 5. That they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Wow, what a perspective. 
In this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. Grieved? You've been grieved? Yeah. By various trials. They cause grief in our hearts. So that, so that, because the reason, the purpose, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, God doesn't need to see the genuineness, I need to see it. He already knows it's there, or whether it's there. More precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he comes back, when he's revealed now, glory, honor, praise, and we're tested. We go through these fiery trials, and they test our faith. What they do is they prepare us for future tests, future difficulties, because I know if I can go through this, I can go through that. And I would not have known that before. It's where, where I grow in my confidence in him. I've learned to trust him on these little levels. As the little levels come along, so when the big level comes, it's like, okay, I've done this before. This is bigger than anything I've ever faced, but he, he was faithful here. He's faithful here. Like David, killed the lion, killed the bear. I can you know, handle this Philistine who's, who's bl you know, blaming God, who's cursing God. I, I can do, I, you know, it's, it's starting at the little level, at the small things, the small trials. They're not just inconsequential. They're important to growing our faith. You don't need to be ashamed of that kind of suffering. There's some suffering we need to be ashamed about because we brought it on ourselves. And we handle it wrongly. Yeah, I should probably be ashamed whenever I blow up and I shouldn't have. But when I handle it in the way that God wants, that's according to his will. And, and I don't need to be ashamed at those moments. Then he says, for it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. What is that? I think it's the discipline of God. Sometimes he disciplines us. Sometimes this, these tough times are to discipline me because of something that I need in my life. You know, every parent disciplines their child in some way, time out, whatever. God has his process too. If it begins with us, what's going to be the outcome of those who do not, the ungodly and the sinner? Whoa. We need to reach them for Jesus. Verse 19 gives us the sixth thing, therefore, therefore, we ask what it's there for, it's, he's, he's, coming, he's coming to this conclusion, and yet this is the sixth also imperative. See, I looked at the therefore and thought, oh, okay, this is the one thing. I go through suffering, I entrust my life to him, boom, period, done. No, there's six things here. He's saying, therefore, based on judgment beginning with household of God, let those who suffer according to God's will. Wait a minute, is God involved in suffering? Yeah, he is. Does he bring suffering in my life? Well, certainly in his permissive will, he permits suffering to happen in this world, in my life. But it's also according to God's will if I'm doing it his way and not my way. I suffer in my way, I just get mad, I throw things, I say things, I, I just like an unreasoning beast. His way, I rejoice, I'm not surprised, I don't do the evil things that would bring more suffering on me, 
I'm not ashamed. I glorify God. I worship him. I sing to him. Those are the times we need to sing the most. It's the time that we feel less like singing. And that's when we most need to sing. We entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing what is good. We entrust our soul. What is that? Entrusting our soul. The word soul is, is referring to that uh, immaterial part of us, our, our breath, our life. I entrust my life to him. I mean, I trusted my car to my son, right? <laughs> Seemed like I can trust my life into the, to the Lord, right? If the lesser, then the greater. I mean, we tr entrust things to people all the time. With a tool that we, we want, uh, uh, we have, with, with uh, responsibility, we trust them at work. I mean, all these different things that we entrust, well, God's saying, I want you to entrust your life to me. I want you to trust me. That I know what I'm doing with your life. That I know what I'm doing with this suffering. I want you to trust me. And you say, okay, God, I trust you. I don't like it. I don't have to like it. He didn't say like it. He said rejoice in it, but he didn't say like it. But he did say trust me. Because when I trust him, it demonstrates that I believe he's good. And that he has a good purpose for my suffering. So I trust him. And, say, and I and sometimes have to say, God, I, I don't know what you're doing here, but I trust you because it, it doesn't look like a good thing to me. Because he's a faithful creator. I think that's why Peter says, to a faithful creator, while doing what is good. I don't stop doing what is good. I keep doing the right thing. I keep choosing right, not revenge. I keep choosing right, not to get even. I choose the right, not to, to fight, to, to do whatever, to hate, to become bitter in my heart, my spirit. I look ahead to what God is doing. I look at, I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joys set before him endured the cross. He didn't love the cross. He, did, he hated it. He despised the cross, it says. And yet, what did he do? He looked beyond the suffering to what was going to happen. Our salvation. We look beyond. Okay, God, what are you doing here? We should almost rub our hands together. Okay, God, it looks like you're getting ready to do something neat because it sure hurts. <laughs> and we begin to embrace suffering instead of looking down on it despising it and just trying to tough it out and thinking and glad that it's over no it's the process there was a song a number of years ago you've probably heard me quote it once if you've heard me talk about this topic such a powerful song by Steve Green The Refiner's Fire I remember the first time that I ever really hit me, I was going through a tough time and I'd gotten through preaching and, and uh, next day, Monday, I showed up and in, that, in those days, the, the, uh, I, I walk out my office door and that's where our sanctuary was. And my office was the sound room, I had all the sound equipment in there. I mean, it was all a pretty small place. And so I just hit the button on the sound, we have a, a little track that we were playing then, didn't have you know, Pandora or some of those, and so we just, it was just a cassette. And I just hit the button, and the song that came up was this song. And I started weeping. And so I just kept playing it over and over. I wound it back, and I play it again. And I just allowed the Lord to just work through me in this song. Because it's such, such a powerful song. It says, There burns a fire with sacred heat, white hot with holy flame. And all who dare pass through its blaze will not emerge the same. 
some as bronze and some as silver, some as gold and with great skill, or hammered by their sufferings on the anvil of his will. Very appropriate to this passage. I'm learning now to trust his touch, to crave the fire's embrace. For though my past with sin was etched, his mercies did erase. Each time his purging cleanses deeper, I'm not sure that I'll survive. Yet the strength in growing weaker keeps my hungry soul alive. The refiner's fire has now become my soul desire, purged and cleansed and purified, that the Lord be glorified. He is consuming my soul, refining me, making me whole. No matter what I may lose, I choose the refiner's fire. Wow. Whether we choose the refiner's fire or not, it's coming. Because he loves us. With a love that we would, that's greater than any love that we have because we do not desire that for anybody that we care about to go through tough times. But our God, who cares so deeply about purifying us and growing us in him, he's willing to let us go through the tough things because he is good, because he cares about us. He cares about our lives. And so let's respond like Peter tells us. The six things, the six commands, I would encourage you to look over those today or tomorrow. The six things that he tells us. Don't be surprised. Rejoice. Don't be ashamed. Glorify him. Worship him. Entrust yourself to him. And I guarantee you that as you begin to do that, you're going to share more in Christ's sufferings. You're going to suffer as a believer and not just suffer. There's more to suffering than just enduring it. There's growing in Christ. Father, we come to you today, and we know this was a hard message and yet a needed one. As we start this new year, Lord, we don't know what the year brings. We do know suffering is probably going to be a part of it at some point. Help us not to be surprised. Help us to know that suffering is normal. Help us to respond to it as a believer would respond, not as an unbeliever responds. Help us to respond according to your will and not to respond according to our own will. Guide us, lead us, work in us, change us, transform us. We ask for that, and when we ask for those things, we're asking that we share in your sufferings like Paul did. We don't know that we're asking that, but that's what we're asking. If we're asking to be changed, then suffering means it's coming. Lord, may it come. May we stand up under it. May we see it as light and momentary in, in the light of the glory that's to be revealed and the light of Jesus coming. I can't wait until that day when there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. But until that day, Lord... May we suffer rightly for you. May we suffer in a godly way. Because, Lord, I know that the world usually is not watching when things are going well for us. 
that they're paying real close attention when we're suffering. And they want to see if we suffer like they do or if there's something different about us, different about you. Lord, I pray that our lives, the way we suffer, would glorify your name. And the world would see your hand and be drawn to you and come to you. Lord, guide us, lead us, strengthen us. Help us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will hold you with my righteous right hand. God, you promised that for us. Help us not to be dismayed or afraid when we face those difficult times. Help us not to become hardened in our hearts because you're going to help us. You're going to strengthen us at those moments when we need you most. And so we look to you. I pray that you would help each person here. Father, I know that there are people going through difficulties now. Pain now, hurt now, anger now. Help them, Lord. Lift them up. Strengthen them. Comfort them. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you're the God of all comfort who loves us with an infinite love. So we look to you. We entrust our souls to you now. We entrust our lives to you now. Every breath that we take, we entrust to you. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.